podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Yaz Rana has been rested and slash all rotated, so you have to make do with me as your host. And I'm joined by former England batsman Mark Butcher, WCM Editor-in-Chief Phil Walker and Wisdom.com Feature Editor Taha Hashim to preview the England-New Zealand tests and look back on another brilliant round of the county championship as well as the start of the Rachel Hayhoe Flint trophy. We're going to start with a question from one of our listeners. Freddie Waterland asked, if Joe Root has a poor series, do England stand a chance of beating New Zealand? And Butch, my question to you is, Root has 20 test hundreds, the rest of the squad has Evans between them, I think. When was the last time England's batting lineup was so dependent on one player? <laughs> Slim pickings. Yeah. Uh, blimey. No, I can't. Well, I can't. I can't think of one. I mean, look, England are, England are a long way shy of what their, their number one eleven would be in this game. Um, you might have mentioned that before, Mark. I, do you think I have? <laughs> um, so, no, I can't remember. I cannot remember. I cannot remember a time when you kind of... When particularly going into the first test match of the summer, um, and you know, have a uh, what should actually be a very, very exciting moment. There's going to be crowds back in, brilliant um, New Zealand side who are in the you know, <laughs> they're doing their warm up for, uh, for an important game. Um, and England with, with it all to prove after a tough winter, and yet it seems to be very, very low key. And mm. you know, those numbers and those you know, stats in terms of um, the, the, the batting lineup tend to reflect that however I suppose if you look at it in a slightly different way you know Crawley Sibley Burns have all got plenty to prove after a tough winter Zach Crawley exciting young player last time he played in, in, in England um, you know in front of nobody played one of the best innings you're likely to see it might not, not have been the very last time but it was pretty close um, and you know Ollie Pope fantastic young player James Bracey looks like he's going to make a debut there's you know there's lots to be excited about it's just in terms of experience, you would imagine that the Kiwis, um, given a, a fair wind and a bit of cloud cover, might make it, it a easy work of England if Joe Root doesn't um, find his boots straight away. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I feel like I'm about as enthusiastic as cricket fans come. Mm, and, uh, I go with it. Yeah, and, uh, and <laughs> even I'm struggling a little bit to get up for this series. It sort of feels like England even don't hugely mind if they win or not. Maybe that's a bit too harsh, but, but, they're, but they're not picking their strongest team and almost deliberately so. And it's just a warm-up for New Zealand. And then even with the selection debates, if England pick Overton over Robinson tomorrow, say, I don't feel like that tells you anything about which of the two they think is better. So there's only limited fun to be had there. Uh, is that, do, do you agree with that, Phil? Are you, are you not as excited as you otherwise would be for the first, sort of that Lord's hum and the first... Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm jaded at the best of times. Um, <laughs> well, it, it's hard to shake the sense that this is, this is a test trial or that certainly in brackets... On the, on the Lord's poster tomorrow, England-New Zealand, first test match of the summer, brackets, it's a, it's a test trial. It feels very individualised. Mm. And I say that because even if it's a good game, even if it's a humdinger, there's so little riding on it contextually that we can walk away from Lord's feeling, you know, exhilarated by the game. But it, it, there's no great, grander context to it. So then you end up watching the individuals. You watch, you watch the players, and as Mark says, there's a number of England players in, in this side that are either debuting or home debuting or trying to resurrect their career or trying to hold on to the, 
to the the start still of their career, still a nascent career for many of them. And so it's hard to shake that sense that the big stuff comes in a month or so and you want to try and get into that squad for the first test match against, uh, against India and then after that, the test match summer is on. But until then... It's a, it's, a, it's a peculiar thing. We're going into the first test match, a Lord's test match of an English summer. And you can't quite shake that sense that there is something, there's an artifice to it. There's something else going on. New Zealand, they'll want to win the game. Um, of course they will. So will England. But if you're, if you're Southie, for example, or Jameson, and you're in your second or third spell in the second innings, you, you wouldn't be human if you didn't have half an eye on that, on that world champs test match in in two or three weeks time so there is there is a peculiar absence of jeopardy and and dramatic tension I think in this particular game that said in the end a game always threatens to break out and as as Mark rightly said a couple of weeks ago a test match is a self-contained thing in and of itself and I wouldn't be surprised if for all of the sense of it being low-key still something memorable can break out because that is the beauty uh, and and the kind of the, the, the enigmatic element of a test match. Mm-hmm. I'm still I'm still really excited. I mean, the, what? Looking, yeah, I am. I mean, if you look at the England team, so young. I mean, you know, there's still, <laughs> there's still a lot of great storylines in there. You know, you've got the the top order who like are all sort of averaging thirties. Have still got so much to prove. You know, Sibley hasn't had much of a county season. Burns is. You know, technically, he's out of the team. He's coming back into the team. He was dropped in India. That's no, true, yeah. Crawley's struggled himself and not really repl- you know, replicated what happened last summer over the winter. Um, and then Lawrence is playing, will be playing his first home test. You know, Pope, we've still got, still got a lot to see come from Ollie Pope. But these um, are all individual stories, aren't they? Yeah. And contained individual stories. Yeah. Not, generally, with a test match, there is the broader narrative of the result yeah. and the, the series story unfolding. Yeah. In this instance, especially with a two-tester, yeah. there's not really that, that grand narrative at play. I'm just digging deep for positives because of, of your cynicism, you know. So. <laughs> I see. Uh, I no, fair it. play. Fair <laughs> play. It's a nice cheery start to the show anyway. Uh, <laughs> as, as I mean, I can't wait to see, see Dan back, obviously. Dan well, exactly. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Jameson, uh, you know, mm. roaring in at the yeah. pavilion end. There's, there's all kinds of things. That's why I was so damn annoyed last week at the way that that it's been relegated before we've even begun now what, what we hope is there are a lot of entertainers in both these teams that as you say the players kind of rise to the occasion and, and drag the rest of us out of our out of our torpor and that might well happen England England New Zealand often does could you just go back to your original question as well on route um who I haven't really thought about him so much actually in the build-up because it's the support acts that we're talking of but mm. But Root himself, if you take the captaincy element away from him, uh, he, he, had a, he was batting on a different level. Butch was out there. He saw him in India. He was batting on a different plane to everybody else. Uh, and that began in January in Sri Lanka, and that may well run through. And so you have this, this sub-narrative of Root's own personal quest to become you know, the, the greatest English batsman out there, the most prolific batsman out there. Uh, and... He obviously loves batting there. He he's actually New Zealand at Lords for Root is quite a significant fixture. Mm. Um, he and Stokes went out there and changed the complexion of the England side in 20, 2015 in the build up to that great summer when Australia came over here and, and so on and so on. So it's a significant fixture for him. He obviously loves batting at Lords. He's made Ashes hundreds there. He's made 
double hundreds there against Sri Lanka and so on. So it's a big, big game for him, again, on an individual basis. Uh, and when all said and done, we can all get behind the root story because, you know, it, it remains so tantalising to, to English cricket fans. How far can he go? How, how grand a player can he end up as? Uh, so whatever happens over the next few days, there's so many of these little stories and hopefully they will all end up tying themselves up around one another and then we'll end up with a, with a satisfactory narrative at the end of it. And uh, just finally, I guess, on what's happening, there's a ceremonial element to it. They'll have, what, four and a half thousand fans in, something like that, 25%, so maybe a few more than that even. And then next week, Edgbaston, 70% capacity as a pilot event. Hopefully it goes ahead. Uh, So this game feels as much a kind of symbolic game of cricket as an actual blood and thunder kind of, you know, spit and sawdust kind of game as well, you know. And the fact that the weather looks to be set fair, Lords will be doing its thing, that's, that's, that's enough of an event in and of itself, I think. Yeah, as, as Taha mentioned, uh, Darren Lawrence's home debut. And Phil, you've been saving up a couple of anecdotes, especially for this occasion. Oh, right. Yeah, well, I was, um, I was at Chelmsford this morning um, talking to Tom Wesley and he got a phone call about, it was before nine o'clock, from, from Daniel, who is, of course, with England at the minute, 24 hours before his home debut and he phones him up and he says uh governor um there's a bed being delivered now dan lawrence lives with wesley at the minute because he's getting renovations done on his house and he's decided in his genius the day before his home debut at lords to send a full four poster to tom wesley's house but of course there's no one there tom wesley's got a job to do tom wesley's wife or partner has a job to do as well so basically dan lawrence in his genius less than 24 hours before his home debut is sending sending a whole Ikea top to bottom to, to Tom Wesley's house. What the hell are they going to do with it? How he's going to get it to his own house when that's sorted out a week or two later. But this is the kind of bloke that, that you're dealing with, Lawrence. The, the other story, which I mentioned earlier to you, when Essex won the double, they, they spent the afternoon showing the, the trophies around the Olympic Stadium when West Ham were playing at halftime, you know, keep it in the family around Essex Way and all of that. Lawrence turned up, wanted to get a beer from the from the pub or from the bar there and the girl behind the bar said well do you have any id sir and he said oh uh, no, no no i left it home and he goes oh hold on hold on hold on hold on a minute got his phone out got his crick info profile up showed the picture showed the date and got himself a beer <laughs> i mean this is the kind of kid that you're dealing with here this is why he is irresistible if the he gets if dodger. he gets a few tomorrow or this week then the cat is out the bag you know and he can very very easily be quite a lovable figure in English cricket. People don't quite know yet. He got a few away from home, but a lot of people wouldn't have seen that. Now the eyes will be, will be on him, you know, and he's got a job to do. Um, you, you can't deny your true nature, and, and as much as he probably liked to keep it on the straight and narrow, these stories just follow him around. Uh, Ollie Robinson also looks, looks a good bet to play. I'm not sure if you caught his, uh, his press conference, but it was no. reasonably punchy for a, a guy yet to make his debut. He was talking basically about how he was going to work out Kane Williamson. Uh, sort of uh, big call pulling him across the crease and then dying one back in I think was the plan has he uh, actually said that yeah yeah. But what's, what's uh, that Mike Tyson line everyone's got a plan until they get smashed in the mouth yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying Kay Williams Williamson is Mike Tyson but until you know what I'm down, saying down to third man that's quite a call good luck to him but yeah mm. he might be setting himself up a little bit there but case. I mean he's obviously he's clearly bowling bloody well as is, as is his competition for a place um, Craig Overton Robinson spoke to Wizen Cricket Monthly Magazine editor Joe Harmon for the upcoming issue of the mag. Uh, here's a snippet 
from that chat. I spoke to Ben Brown a couple of days ago. He's obviously seen a lot of you over over the last few years. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a cliche when it comes to, to Seamers, but he did say that the extra yard of pace that you put on has, has made all the difference over the last couple of years, adding to the, the skills you've already had. Do you think that's a fair assessment? And, and how have you been able to find that extra yard, if, if you do agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, when I arrived at Sussex, I was probably averaging about 75, 76 miles an hour. I remember we had a T20 the first year here, and I think my top speed was sort of, I got clocked at 78 that year. Um, right. Three years, later, three years later, I played T20, and I think I got clocked at about 84. Um, right. So yeah, it's, I've definitely upped my pace a little bit, um, just from obviously getting fitter and stronger, and, and probably bowling more, I suppose, as well, getting a bit more bowling fit, as it were. Um, but the gym work that I've done and, and the fitness that I've done over the last probably two, three, four years now, it has definitely helped me increase my pace and and my, sk- and my skills as, as well. I've still been working on just as much. Um, but I think being obviously six foot five, six foot six is is, actually, is, a, is the main attribute of mine and, and the extra pace just adds to that. Well, that's interesting. That kind of ties in quite nice with something else that Ben said that he was impressed by about you, which is how much you think about your game. And he was talking specifically, actually, about how much you study batsmen and work out their weaknesses. Is that something you kind of take pride in as, as a bowler? And is that something you've always done, or is that kind of developed over the last couple of years as well? No, I think that's something I've always done. I've, I've watched a lot of cricket from a very young age, um, and I think I've always been very interested in, in watching cricket and seeing sort of not just watching cricket but actually watching how a bowler goes about his business or how bat is batting sort of thing um, I mean my parents call me call me a cricket badger right. um, just the amount of cricket that I watch and I'm, I'm always watching it on my phone or my TV if, if I'm not playing it so it's, I think it's, it's a bit from that um, but yeah I like to we've got our analyst at Sussex I like to get certain information on certain players before each game and it's something I do look closely at because I always think if I've got half a sort of if I've got a one step um, if I'm one step ahead of the batter before we can play the game then obviously I'm, I'm winning already so yeah. it's, it is something that I, I look at quite a lot before games um, and obviously from that I'd then I think it helps me both from that as well because I, I work out how I'm going to get them out uh, going back a bit, for, for a lot of county cricket fans, the first time they heard your name might well have been when you got let go by Yorkshire in 2014. How much do you think you've changed as a character and, and a cricketer since since then? Yeah, massively. Um, I, I, mean, I think when I was at Yorkshire, I was, a, I was just a young 18-year-old lad who was trying to live both sides of the sword, really. Right. Um, I was trying to play professional cricket while travelling back to Kent and, and seeing my friends at, at the same time. And, it just didn't work. It just didn't work out. I think I was a long way from home and didn't really know anyone up north. Um, and just a, just a bit of a tough time, really. But I think I don't think I'd change anything. I, I've, I'm pretty. I've been pretty happy moving back, to, uh, moving to Sussex, and and it's gone well for me. Um, but yeah, I've just I've just grown up a bit. I was a bit young, a bit naive, and and sort of that probably made me switch on a bit more and actually get my head in the game after I got sat in Yorkshire. Um, it's also quite 
quite a tough play. I mean, it's obviously famously quite a tough environment. I imagine it might be even tougher if you're the kind of southern teenager who comes up there in a fairly tight knit change room. Was was that a difficult aspect of it as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think most most people know what Yorkshire's like. They're quite, like you say, they're quite a close knit group, and they like. Like, they like everything to do with Yorkshire and not a lot, a lot, not a lot else sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and obviously I was the young southerner coming up and trying to take someone else's place from Yorkshire, I suppose, and it just didn't quite work out really. Um, but I wouldn't, ch- I wouldn't change it, just, just a shame it didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, do you think, we see, uh, I mean, there's obviously quite a bunch of them, but we see other bowlers who have come through the age group, England age group, then the academy, done it all at Loughborough, quite quickly into the England setup. Do you think in some ways the fact that you haven't had it all your own way has is, is perhaps helped you uh, and might help you in the coming weeks and months as you get a proper cricket, test cricket? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, it's definitely made me tougher um, than maybe I might have been if it was handed to me to play. Um, I think I've had to work maybe double, sort of doubly as hard as, as someone else might have had to work because of that. Um, I think like any any work when you get sacked from any job you have to work a lot harder to get back in back in the game or back back in your job and I think that sort of happened to me and it's actually done me a, a, the world of good really um, so like you say it, hopefully it stands me in good stead and obviously my drive and and will to work is, is maybe a bit higher because of that. And was there a clear the turning point? Was it simply you turn up at Sussex and things start to improve, or was there a moment at Sussex where you really felt things started to to click into place? Um, it was probably the winter after I got sacked from Yorkshire. Uh, I've been to Hampshire and I think a couple of weeks after this trial for a game, got injured on the first game and sort of had had enough really. Um, took I, I planned to take the whole winter off and, and not play any cricket at all. Right. Um, and after about six, eight weeks, I remember saying to, to my dad, sort of, feel like I'm, I'm missing it here and feel like I, I do still want to be a professional cricketer. And I think that short period away from the game and not being on any academy or any staff and for the first time probably in, in my cricket life, I'd never actually had any stability with any team. Um, I remember thinking, I do, I do miss that. Right. I think from that, from that period on, I remember saying to my dad, we need to get back in the next, we need to get back into this and, and make sure in March, April contract, I'm ready to ready to go again and obviously trail other counties. So that winter, we we put up the indoor school in, in Kent and ran it twice a week, three times a week, and I bowled, battled against the machine and, and just trained on my own really for a few months. But I think that sort of that period where I wasn't playing cricket for anyone or not connected to any counties was probably the turning point when I realised that I was still to be a professional cricketer. So on England's team, the suggestion is they'll go with four bowlers rather than five as they have recently. And given that Root and Lawrence will be in the top six, they might well go in without Jack Leach. Taha, are mm. you comfortable with that? Um, so a couple of days ago, we picked out teams for a piece from Um And I've got Jack Leach in that. Um, I think... You were the only one to have Jack Leach, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, I'm always... It, I mean, the sun's kind of come out. That, mm. I was writing that as the sun was out. Um, that figured in my thinking a bit. But also, I saw him bowl at Lords uh, early last month. It was the first game of the season. Uh, Somerset pulled off a pretty special win over Middlesex. Um, and he bowled beautifully in a third innings where it was freezing. Um, three for 18, 10 overs, something like that. 
Um, and, you know, I still think he's got a part to play. I'm always in the favour of having Spinner in your team. A frontline Spinner. Obviously, there's Lawrence and Root um, who can do a job there too, but I, I still want that. And I still want, I just want variety in the attack. I don't really want to see them going with Anson Braugh, Overton, Anne Robinson, something like that. I want a Spinner, and then I want, you know, so I, I went for Stone in that team uh, just because I thought he bowled beautifully in, in, in India, and he's, from what I've seen on county streams albeit um, he's looked you know that level again so so you, you're a player spinner pretty much at all costs yeah so so you're you're in with three three quicks and and the spinner mm. it's a it's a real real tough one yeah I, I, I mean I hate I hate leaving out a spin bowler and you said we're looking like we might be getting four or five days of, of glorious weather coming up as well so it's incredibly dangerous in which case, you know, you, you probably left out a batsman, haven't you? You can say to, Br- to Bracey, bat six, that's the end of Dan Lawrence. Mm. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bracey, bat six, you play Overton, um, yeah. a, a position too high, and you, and you make up the rest of it there. I mean, I, I said, if, if it was going to be like a, a four-man attack, you thought it was going to be a three-and-a-half-day game, then I was going to pick, over, I would have picked Overton over, over Robinson, because Anderson and Broad are Robinson times ten. Um, and then pick Stone as the as the quick. So you know I'm kind of on 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 your page there as well. But I think in order to get Leach in, I've left a batter out. Hmm. Do, do, do you buy into the idea that Leach has somehow earned his place and needs to kind of play as as much as for the challenges ahead and for betting into the team? Because he, he was you know one of England's best players over the winter for what that's worth. I mean it was root and then quite a big gap, but he still emerged with credit from that tour. Do you think it's a backward step to leave him out, or is that? Is it fair enough? No, I wouldn't say it's a backward step particularly. I just think you pick pick the best 11 for that particular situation. Um, Stokes is training up in Durham. He's hitting balls. He's running in. Uh, you know, we don't need to go down the vagaries of the selection at the moment, but come the big stuff, uh, Stokes will be back at five or six, and then it opens it up, and then you, you naturally play a spinner and three, three out and out. Seamers and Stokes as your fourth, and that's, that's that. Uh, Stokes opens up this whole team. It's higgledy piggledy. However, you look at it without him. Yeah, sure. Uh, in, in, in other team news, uh, Stuart Broad will be vice captain. Ben Stokes' absence makes quite mm. a change from the first test of last summer when he was uh, dumped unceremoniously. And uh, James Bracey has confirmed that he will keep. Wes Spearman has asked, "Why is Bracey batting out of position at seven instead of opening or batting at three? Is it right that England bat him out of position on debut?" I don't think tomorrow morning he's going to be especially grumpy that he's not batting first drop (laughs) when he's presented with his cap by whoever it may be tomorrow morning. Um, He'll just be stunned, thrilled, probably mildly terrified, exhilarated by the whole lot. And, and, I mean, purely from a cricketing perspective, uh, obviously we don't know how he's feeling privately, but if if you are asked to bat top three for England and to do it for the first time in your life, that's a big ask against the number one side in the world with a really good seam attack, or one of the number one sides in the world. Um, to come in there at seven, the pressure might be off with the bat in and of itself, so possibly it's, it's not a bad result for him personally to come in at seven. Uh, certainly, I mean, there was no chance of him batting anywhere else and keeping wicket. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll just be thrilled to, to be there and maybe the pressure will be slightly off and he, he can come out and maybe express himself a little bit more for having the gloves to as a sort of side issue to hide behind somewhat. 
But even if England, England bowl first, you know, he's just going to go out there and, you know, that first over as Anderson's running in from the pavilion end. I mean, what a moment. What a moment for the kid. He's come out from nowhere and they like him. I can see why. It's a bit of a punt to be bringing him in at this point in his career, but what a moment. Great luck to him. He's got the technique for the second new ball. Yeah. Yeah, very go. true. Very true. He's a much needed lefty in that team, by the way. You know, so you have, obviously, you have Burns up top. Then after that, it's just a sea of right-handers and then, and then Bracey at seven. If he'd been picked with the, without the gloves in mind at all, you know, and, and then, you know, pictures of number three batter and then batting at number seven, you'd say, well, that was, you know, well, what the hell have you done that for? You know, why didn't you pick somebody who bats mm. at number seven? But mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is he's playing as an all-rounder. He's playing as a wicketkeeper. Yep. But no, I mean, he's going to be so thrilled to be playing. It looked... You know, there's there's a lot of lot of things have gone his way in order for him to get the to get the gig, and now he just needs to go out and enjoy it and, and make the very most of it. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, it, in a way, <laughs> I see why the question's been asked because England have form for this slightly in terms of they've picked players and sort of molded them into the position. But he's never. Ever, but you're not going to pick you're not going to pick somebody to bat at number three and keep wicket. In no, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that's what's happened in this instance. But I can see why you might look at you know like like England did with Ollie Pope, so when they pitched into bat at four and he'd never done that before, or Joe Denley batting at three, four and opening like, uh, and just moving them around. They, they do have a habit of moving players around. I'm not saying that's what happened in this situation. But no, I can see well, why. It clearly isn't what's happened in this situation. On to New Zealand and Kane Williams announced in his pre-match press conference that Devin Conway will be making his test debut, likely opening the batting with Tom Latham. Taha, tell us a bit about him. Yeah, I mean, with Devin Conway, it's, it's all about the numbers. If you look at, so he, so he qualified to play for New Zealand last August he's originally from South Africa came over in 2017 to New Zealand um, so made his debut this you know the last New Zealand summer played three ODIs averages 75 um, you know that's three ODIs but then 11 T 20 I innings average just on the 60 uh, so test cricket's sort of just the natural progression for him now and then he's been phenomenal in domestic well domestic cricket in general but red ball cricket as well he averages like Six, average sixty six point two five for Wellington after twenty two after twenty two first class games. So he's he's kind of New Zealand's shiny new toy right now. Um, and what a time to sort of get into that team because it's a team that's you know we've seen it over the last year. It's a te- it's a perfect team to come into if you're a new guy. The way Jameson's come in, you're he's learning under Bolt, Southie, Wagner, the the best the best has been, and with with Conway he'll go into like, you know, a New Zealand team that was number one in the world at the start of this year. As you say, I mean, I've seen a bit of him in, in pyjama cricket and he's box office. Um, New Zealand have often been very good cricket teams and they've often been quite watchable teams, but they've not been edge-of-your-seat cricket teams. But if, he, if they can bring, if they've found one here and a top-order bat to boot, and they can bring him in and you have Jameson, who's a bit of a phenomenon, you know, he's seven foot plenty and all of that and devastating to, to face, you'd imagine. And then, of course, you have these pedigree new ball bowlers, albeit Bolt isn't playing tomorrow. Um, then, of course, you're the genius at three in Williamson. So that suddenly becomes a team not only that is good and, you know, punches above its weight and all of those cliches that attach themselves to New Zealand, but also a team that you want to you get down and watch, you know. Yeah. And I feel like that. I don't think New Zealand have had this kind of selection debate in the past. You know, mm. it's like usually they're a team trying to sort of fill out that eleven. And so Conway, in another era, you know, he qualified last August. He could have technically, I guess, played Test cricket, you know, already. 
Um, but just the state of that team already is like mm. he's he's had to bide his time and now now could be the chance. It's not even a nail on certainty, you know. Yeah, that, that's what the other section debates are pretty much. So they've got a choice between Colin de Grandholm or Daryl Mitchell for the around spot. I don't know if you've seen Colin's uh, mullet, but go and go and check out if you haven't. Uh, but he didn't play with the wind; he was injured. And uh, Daryl Mitchell stakes a claim, got a hundred. So mm-hmm. interesting. And then the, they also have a question over: Do they play a spinner? I guess Mitch Santner is there. It's probably their first choice. And I guess he's a left armour. So with all those right-handers, that mm-hmm. could bring him into the game, I guess. Yeah, possibly. Uh, and Trent Bolt is unavailable, but they've got Matt Henry ready to step in and already those three other seamers. So mm-hmm. uh, finally, let's do some predictions. Phil, it's a uh, 2-0 for me. 1-1. Uh, yeah. Well, always a you know, two-tester with England New Zealand. Always 1-1, Matt. Who always. is, yeah. Um, actually, you know what? Th- yesterday, or this morning it might have been, 12 years ago, I retired now. For the first time, I had a little twinge of, oh, you know what? Next session, day before test match. Quite fancy that today. Just nice day. Who are you, Mark? Nice I thought I knew you reasonably nice well. Nice day. No, I just, uh, just had that sort of, you know, remembering. Is that because you were at Legoland today? Remembering so? what they, I think that's probably what it was, yeah. Remembering what, that, what, those, what the morning before point. a test match at Lords was like. It was always quite, I always enjoyed that, the build up to those. Yeah. Um, ha- so, hang on, where were we? P- predictions. I honestly don't know. I'm going to go for a one-one as well. I mean, England don't. England tend not to lose at home, no matter what they're kind of doing with their team and whatever problems are going on. They're really testing the theory. But they yeah. are going to, they're testing the theory, but you know, you know, the whole however many rounds we've had, seven, eight rounds of, of county championship cricket, guys are kind of in tune. New Zealand have been looking at hotel rooms in quarantine for God knows how long. So, mm. um, you know, it's going to, it might it might be difficult for them to come flying out the blocks in this first test. You um you said two 0 but you didn't say. I said New Zealand, yeah. Oh, New Zealand two 0 he, he always bets against England. Okay. He's a hipster. He always yeah. bets against England. Well, I'm going one one. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Did they announce the World Test champs that, in the event of a draw, the championship will be shared? Yes. Which were we coming to this later? Or uh, I was going to mention it. We weren't going to discuss it, but okay. it feels like it essentially guarantees that New Zealand will dominate the game. No, ba- uh, no boundary count. Smash the boundary count and uh, yeah. still end up with a shared title. <laughs> as, uh, exactly. That's what I was thinking. The World sure. Test Championship final and the Bob Willis Trophy final should be timeless. Is that that's there we go? Essentially, yeah, yeah. yeah. Six days. If you can't there get a result no in draw. six days, no one deserves to. Yeah. Win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Throw, a re- throw a rest day in. A barbecue. Yeah, Not a barbecue at Beefies. Like yeah, let's have a whole of, week. I'd like the idea of not sharing the trophy, but saying neither of you deserve to win this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, go sure away. Have a good think about your actions. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, <laughs> So on, on to county cricket, and it's been another uh, cracking round of fixtures. There were three games that went deep into the final session, and we'll start with Taha's moment of the week. Yeah, it was um, Sakib Mahmood um, mm. bowling Lancashire to victory. I was quite shocked today to see that. Um, so he, he picked up a fifer in the, in the final innings. It was like a sort of last gasp, gasp type of win. Um, and uh, it was his first first class fifer, which was a bit of a surprise because he's... You know, he was he wasn't far off playing Test cricket a couple of years ago. He was in the squad for New, the New Zealand tour, um, and he's almost sort of, I guess, not fallen off the radar. I think you know he's been in squads over the last year or two, um, played a handful of one-day games, but he's not. You know, he's not in the Archer, Wood, Stone category right now. He's not. You know, he's not one of the first-class titans like Overton and um, and Robinson. Um, but he's he's a heck of a bowler, and I'd almost sort of forgotten about him in a 
in a way. But he's, you know, he's had a pretty good 2021 so far, actually. Leading wicket taker in the PSL before that got canned. He's done sort of quietly well, um, you know, for Lancashire right now until this weekend where he sort of, you know, he was on the TV, he's on Sky, and then you get the, the real good look at him. And he was bowling, you know, proper fire. And, you know, a couple of a couple of the weeks have got clipped up from social media. And he's... And he, and he, um, he, you know, he dips one into to Will Frayne, sends the stump, you know, dancing, and then a few minutes later, t- two hours later, Steve Patterson gets one that you know moves away from him and takes off stump out, and um, yeah, a nice reminder that he's a heck of a bowler. And then by the end of the day, you know, him and Parkinson were going at it, um, and I know you guys talk about Parkinson a lot, but I'm not always on this show, so I'll talk about him now. Um, <laughs> he was, he was, you know. He's proper, like, he's got, you know, he's ripping it. He looks like he's got the consistency too. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, I'm sometimes worried about talking up, talking up guys, but there's a reason those two were on, on the mag, you know, wis- on the front cover of Wisdom Creek Monthly, you know, a year and a half ago. They're, they're two proper talents. Yeah. Uh, I did those interviews. Mahmood in particular, really, really smart sort of cerebral kind of cricketer thinks deeply about his bowling technically brilliant gets got a bit of reverse on the final day there as well at Old Trafford he's already a really good one day bowler a good white ball bowler and England like him and he's made made his debut I think in both forms for England in white ball cricket um, as you say he's got a few to jump over in red ball cricket but um, we don't have to talk about people in those terms you know just taking the new ball for Lancashire who are now top of their group yeah that's true I backed them at the start of the season. Yeah. Only unbeaten in the country still. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think sort of four, four, three or four wins from seven and so on. Um, and it was apt that the two of them saw it off. You know, obviously a huge game, both teams at the top as well. Um, and with the extra points for a draw now, it, was, it had a lot riding on that final day. For Parkinson to be there at the end uh, as well, alongside the mood, you know, appropriate that those two saw it off. I also gathered that Bumble put Parkinson in his all-time Lancashire eleven, or at least of the last fifty or a bit right. more years. Yeah, right. It was from the time that Bumble him. started playing, wasn't it? So it was sixty-five, I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's big props. You know, and I, I know Bumble you know, fancies it sometimes, but you know, he wouldn't have done that without due consideration. You yeah. know, over Flat Jack Simmons. Flat Jack, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's really, really good to see. Look, let's just leave the Parkinson story to one side because we all get far too carried away with it, you know. But, but yeah, fair play to Lanks. They're looking like a really good side. And we, and we don't want to talk about the Mahmood England question, the Test question. I mean, because it was it was proper reverse swing, which is something that is valuable. It's just possibly. so many, yeah, so many, so many to overcome. And England like to to silo cricketers. I think you know he will play a lot or certainly will play more for England in white ball cricket. Red Bull still takes a bit of a leap of faith, I think. He's, he's not absolute exocet Markwood pace, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have the frame and the height, the trajectory of a, the other lads that you've mentioned, you know, Robinson, Stone, etc. So he's somewhere in between. But in white ball cricket, if you can get it going as well a little bit in those middle overs, and he does have that very quick arm, then there's a career there for him, definitely. Yeah. There are going to be two very large vacancies at some point True. within the next two years, maybe maybe shorter time period than that. True, what, true. What so so very that. handy to have somebody who has that sort of skill because, you know, often we're talking about players with pace or players that can bat a bit or players can do a bit of this and the other. 
there aren't as many guys knocking around who have the skill that somebody like Ollie Robinson looks to have. Um, I'm not sure what his away swing, his, um, sorry, his reverse swing credentials are, which Saki obviously has, and I've seen him do that in, in white ball cricket the last three or four years. Yep. So there is another guy with another set of, uh, who's highly skillful, but they're in a different way to, to somebody like Ollie Robinson. And, you know, the, the two boys can't go on forever. So um, yep. more power to him. Yep, fair point. I mean, he's a slightly different bowler to anyone else England have, right? He's more of a, a slingy guy, you know. And the, the, He's the more of somebody get, yeah. that you would want, in, you know, playing in Pakistan or playing with a kookaburra ball in, yeah. in Australia or something like that. He's not, he's not going to be running in and making the ball jag sideways, um, you know, as the, as the guys who have, have, who have so much enjoyed bowling pre-early season here do. So yeah. you're absolutely right. Do something different. He might, <laughs> he might end up with the... Uh, the, uh, the Dean Headley distinction of, of sort of being first name on the team sheet when it's flat as all hell and mm. 50 degrees in Adelaide, but being left out on the green nibbly ones, you know. But, you know, you need, you need bowlers who can do all these things. Just, just a brief thing on him. I just remembered from the interview that I did. He's the first bowler that I've ever heard say that he has a different action for red ball and white ball cricket. I don't know, you might have heard that, Mark, from certain bowlers, but to me it was, it was news. And it, different run-up too, right? A step longer? D- different different run-up, half a step longer, uh, resulting in a longer delivery stride. And his belief was that with red ball cricket, where he's trying to hold the line and get a little bit of a way swing, a shorter delivery stride keeps better control in his action. And the, the wrist, therefore, is in a better position to keep that line, that sort of fourth, fifth stump, off stump line. Whereas in white ball cricket, when he's trying to hit the pads, he's trying to get a bit of reverse, he believes that a longer stretch just changes the trajectory of his arm, trajectory of that an- gets, angle. Gets a little lower, bit. yeah. Yeah, arm it gets, gets lower, lower, therefore a bit more... Promotes it going in. As, yeah. you know, well, Wacker used to do exactly that. It was, it, so he had a different... The, the, older the, the older the ball got, the lower his arm would get. You know, he'd try and get over the top. Yeah. Try and get a bit of outswing going with the, the new ball. Then with the old ball, he'd just get, he'd get longer and lower. Yeah. <laughs> Nasty. Um, and make it make it knock your toes off. Just, just he came up with that himself. This wasn't a coach idea. It was trial and error from the lad himself. You know, just a little glimpse into how he goes about his cricket. You know, he's an impressive and interesting kid. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that was a great performance from Lancashire, as mentioned. Uh, there were runs from Keaton Jennings and Josh Bohannon, who now averages 46 in first-class cricket, which is pretty good going. Tom Bailey took three for six in 14 overs in the first innings, which is also pretty good going. And uh, Danny Lamb made 61 on the same day as his sister Emma was making 100 in the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy. They brother and sister. Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm. The Lambs. Uh, elsewhere, Surrey beat Gloucestershire by innings. Hashim Amla, standing as captain, made a big 100. Dan Moriarty claimed his fourth first-class five-wicket haul, which, considering he's only bowled in six first-class innings, is pretty good going. And, Have you uh, seen much of him, Mark? Moriarty? Only in, again, only really in white ball cricket, but... He's spoken very highly. They of like him here. here. Yeah, I mean, he took eight eight wickets in the match, and Verdi took seven. Yeah, and um, and that squeezed Group Two quite nicely. Although I think Surrey have got to have played an extra extra game. Yeah, yeah, but I think um, if they win all of their remaining no, games, no, then they're Absolutely. well in the mix. So that's kind of that's squeezed that one out. I mean, the only one, the only one that that is a runaway at the moment is Lanks, isn't it? On the top mm. of um, what was that? They Group Three now. I can't get. I can't remember which way around it is. But but Group Two. Somerset, Gloucester, Surrey, very, very tight. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the Warwickshire, Nottinghamshire, who's, who's top of that one? Well, Essex are top, but they've played Essex one game more. Is is tight as you like. And as you say, yeah, Essex have only got two games left. So the other two are breathing right down their neck. So I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come to a, 
a ripe old finish, which yep. is which yeah. is very nice. It's great. Mm. I don't know if you saw, but Will Jacks absolutely ragged one in that game for his maiden first class wicket. I think it, it, it was Parkinson esque, which I think we're allowed to say, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but not Warnest. Yes, as well. I think we have. It's yeah, a, I saw that drift as well. Drift away from the right-hander yeah. and then then turned on a on a dime. Yeah, left it and it took it off stump. Yeah, it's quite nice to see a like sort of almost an old-fashioned style bat for absolutely ages and then spin them out kind of game. It feels like mm. that's the kind of win that Sorry would have got quite a lot in your day. That, that was the way we used to try and do it. Yeah, um, um, but again, you know, you get a quick change in the weather and the conditions change again. Again, again, sort of one of the beauties of of county cricket in England. If if you manage to play, I mean, we, this is, we're going right the way back to my first pod, I think. But again, if you manage to play between all the championship cricket all the way from from late April all the way till late September, you're going to get these wild changes of of conditions. And those that you know, and that for me is the is the best the best teaching ground really um, that there ever was. You know, why do you think so many apart from the, apart from it being the Northern Hemisphere summer and, no, and and people being able to earn some money, but people would flock here to come and finish off their cricketing knowledge. Um, and it's one of the dangers about having the you know the, the the four day championship season squeezed into into two blocks, one at the beginning, one at the end. You don't get that natural sort of change in conditions to when when, when that happens. So it's good. It's good to see games being won in different ways like that. Absolutely. Uh, a few other results. North Ants beat Sussex by seven wickets. Ben Sarnson claimed yet another fifer. We should beat Derbyshire by an innings with Dylan Pennington claiming nine wickets. Did he? I yeah. didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I, I like him, Pennington. Mm. Tall, good under 19s bowler at the time, and kind of lost his way a tiny bit. But I saw him bowl at the start of the summer at Chelmsford, and he looked like he had a bit of rhythm, rhythm back. Yeah, he's another one. You know, got a lot about him. Good 19th century name as well. Matt. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. I'll and go uh, with that. Warwickshire overcame Knotts' resistance late in the final day with uh, Michael Burgess taking an excellent legside stumping off uh, off the seamer Oliver Handalby, which was good. Uh, Phil, your moment of the week. Well, from that group. Um, as Butch says, I mean, it's wide open in, in the, the Knotts, Warwickshire, Essex group and Durham as well, right in the mix. And Essex went up to Durham and and um, misfired again with the bat in the first innings. But they were saved by this lad, Michael Pepper, who I've heard quite a lot about in the second team. He captains the twos at Essex. He played three first class games for a higher score of about 22 before that spread over the last four years. He's a youngish lad. And he came in at four, replacing Lawrence. Essex were two for nothing, pretty much, on overcast morning. Durham's excellent seam attack. And he and he hit a really nice 90-odd. And I think the next highest score in the innings was 20... No, I've got it here, actually. 28 was the next highest score in the innings. Essex crept up to 180. And then they're seamers. And they are formidable. Um, with Sam Cook, who I mention, it seems, every week. He just doesn't bowl a bad ball. Then they rolled Durham first in his lead of 80-odd and were able to win the game in the end quite comfortably. But that was a real a six-pointer. If either team, if Essex had gone down, then their, their race would have been run, I think. Durham still have a bit to play with. Uh, uh, but yeah, th- that group is, is, is solidifying the quality of this particular system, I think, because four of the six, in fact, five of the six, because with Worcester winning, Worcester have won one game in seven, but they can still, with a strong run, they can even nick it, nick that final slot as well. The top two, of course, go from the six. There's only really Derbyshire who aren't really featuring in that group. Now, this is great. You know, we, we've cried out for context in four-day cricket and county championship for a long, long time, and now we have it. It's great. 
Yeah, and that's actually something you can only really test by playing through a season in a new format, I think. Like, you have no idea before you start out if there's going to be, you know, loads of absolute thumpings and actually the top two emerge pretty early on then Mm -hmm. it feels like a bit of a dud. But it's just utterly borne out the, the system that, you know, you've got, as you say every group is so close there's what in group one there's 13 points between first and fourth group two is the same uh group three you got lanks far and away but then two points in yorkshire and northampton mm. second and third so mm. and again it's shown in the numbers i saw lancashire tweeted the the streaming numbers for the roses mm. game which were through the roof com- compared to all other years where they've been running the streams and and earlier in the season as well so the story is out there and people are starting to get behind it. You know, the death knell of four-day cricket uh, is, is, has been prematurely rung for many, many times. And we're seeing it again here. Um, it's, it's arguably been more engagement in this year's competition than there has been in many, many years. Mm. Stream it and they will come. Indeed. <laughs> uh, but should we come to your moment of the week then? Well, I was, I was going to I was gonna go for um, Leicester turning over Middlesex. Um, but I've decided against it because I've I've just just remembered that extraordinary 143 run partnership to win a match for Almby in the uh, Lincolnshire League between Harry um, and Aaron Brindle. Lovely. You know, lots of you know all those stories in, in club cricket and stuff about guys having a game with their old man and stuff. Yeah. You know, the father and son. I just had my kit in the boot and somebody didn't turn up and I got a game. But this is a, you know very similar. Um, except for the fact that they uh, they batted together, put on 143 <laughs> runs, and, and how many people can say they did that with their mum? Yeah, mm. beautiful. That's, that's pretty cool. That yeah, nice. that wins on the moment of the week competition. <laughs> Probably is a bit better than Marcus Harris making 180. <laughs> but I suppose we, we should talk about that a little bit, which was... Uh, Look, whatever rocks your boat. It's just, just Middlesex uh, throwing it away again, as that's kind of become their habit recently. I mean, it's, I don't know, sounds a bit harsh there, and obviously Leicester did play well, but they were... Setting 300 and plenty, and uh, there's no team better at the moment at finding a way to lose from seemingly impregnable positions. Uh, yeah, Mark Sash- uh, Colin Ackman also made 120 odd, and they mm. were th- 300 for two, I think, on that game on that day. Is that right, Taha? That that Middlesex bowling tight was very young. Um, Bamba, uh, Anderson, I think Helm was the oldest, and he's 27. And then the left arm spinner, uh, Walawita, and Luke Holman. I mean, very That's a bit of bite, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're just having a... Yeah, I mean, but the thing is that their bowling's been the, the strong point of the season. Bamba's been their, been their best bowler, and but it's just a batting that hasn't clicked. And it looked like it might have clicked here at the Oval last week against Surrey. Uh, Hanscom finally getting runs, Gubbins getting a ton. And it was like, if they could... If they could maybe have pulled off the win there, that was like, this is maybe a turning point, but they are just having a, a bit of a stinker. I mean, I've been at Lords for quite a few of their... Pretty much all their home games this season. Um... And it's just like you're just Gubbins looks Gubbins looks a class apart, but you know he's had the the odd good score, but that that batting lineups is lacked, really lacking bite. And then and then you have the bowling lineup um, not not performing in the last game basically. So yeah, yeah, because cause you've written before sort of about like looking kind of under the surface at what's been going on in Middlesex, what they should have been, because it's been yeah. a, you know a poor few years. But it does you do at this point when it's been this long, you do kind of wonder if it is just a a personnel thing basically you look down that batting lineup and there's no one you'd count there as like a, a banker they're all like averaging low to mid thirties. and again it's, with the bowling it's been attack, a few it's years a, now hasn't yeah. it I mean that's why the sort of talk came up during the um, during the, the game here um, that that Gus and 
um, and Stewie Law are under are under big pressure. You know, mm. the, the natives are getting restless over there at Lords. Um, yeah. Well, how, you know, how much of that is their fault? I suppose you look at recruitment, you look at the player pathways and who they're bringing on, etc. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there are there are some sort of rather rather angsty calls for one or both of them to to go. Um, there was stuff off the pitch as well, wasn't there? You know, M- Milan left without too many Christmas cards, you know, and him and him and sort of Nick Compton beforehand to the back end of Nick Compton's time, they didn't get on, and they, they've lacked that kind of pivotal figure, I think, to, to tie the whole thing together. And when you give a county captaincy to a, to an Australian overseas player and not whisper it a pedigree Australian player, then then that is a big risk. That is a big, big risk. Mm. You know, we've seen better players than Peter Hanscom, with all due respect, struggling to make runs in the early part of English season. I mean, Pajara couldn't get a run when he played for Yorkshire a couple of years ago. Labashane averaging next to nothing so far. So big ask... As Mark says, recruitment may be a question mark there, but yeah, it's tough times north of the, north of the river. Yeah, especially with Hanscom. I mean, if you got, if you sign a an overseas batsman and make him the captain immediately, what you're looking for is a guy who, you know, come his worst season is still going to average maybe forty, right? Mm. Um, with Hanscom, you know, has has a, has a has, doesn't have a bad Test record under him. Has played, you know, played Test cricket for Australia, you know, and scored Test centuries. But when he's actually played county cricket, he he doesn't have a uh, he's played for Gloucester, Durham, doesn't have a really, uh, Yorkshire, I think, you know, he doesn't have a, a record to really speak of in, you know, in glowing terms and to, to just give him the captaincy is, I think, it seems a big ask and, and he's, you know, he did, he did bat well, batted well last week, but I just don't see him being the guy who's going to average 50 year on. Year mm. I think it's a, it's a massive it's really tough ask indictment of a club the size of Middlesex. That they don't have anyone else. That you don't. That you're having to ship in a captain of, of that club. Yep. From overseas, whoever it is, actually. Um, yeah, I'm. You know, I mean, so, sorry, did it with Graham Smith. I mean, I remember. <laughs> I remember saying to Stewie, I said, "You're absolutely mad." Not because Graham Smith wouldn't have been a great captain and a great player, but because he looked like he was about three stone overweight, and. His ankle was knackered. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, it, it lasted you know, no more than a couple of weeks. I don't like. I mean, I just, I don't. I'm not, a, not a big fan of overseas captains anyway. Full mm-hmm. stop. But, um, mm-hmm. but anyway, there we go. Their problem. My my moment of the week was uh, from the Rachel Hare Flint Trophy, which got off to a, a blistering start on Saturday. Uh, Western Storm beating Thunder by one wicket off the last ball of the game, so literally as close as it can get. Shrub Soul hit six not out to help them recover from 200 for seven and 250 for nine, chasing 290. Uh, and the, the moment itself, when she hit the winning runs, was nice because it was a. Uh, I was in the old Trafford press box, thought I'd head up there to watch a Parkinson bowl and got a good ten overs in. But for just a little bit, my attention was diverted to the YouTube stream of that game, as was basically everyone else in there, just gathered around a, a couple of laptops uh, to to see the the final moments, which was uh, which was nice. Yeah, well, look, the weather was good. Four, three of the four games were brilliant finishes, tight tight finishes. Four. Was it 400s made on the first first round of games as well, including Emma Lamb, as you mentioned? Um, so yeah, impressive stuff. And the thing is, you want a range of players making runs, making big runs, not just your usual suspects, you know, because you can kind of look through a scorecard and half expect Heather or Tammy Beaumont or Nat Siver to be making big runs, but when when it's the the aspiring players as well, not just making 60s and 70s, but actually making proper 
significant hundreds. That is that's promising, I think. Yeah, Sophia Dunkley in particular is a really good young player. She she made a hundred. Amy Jones is obviously a part of the system, but she's constantly one of those names that you you're, you're putting out there to have a defining year, to have a breakthrough season. And we've been saying that for probably a bit too long, really, about Amy Jones. But she's she's hit two hundreds in two games, including one hundred and sixty three, mm-hmm. one hundred and sixty something, which I think is a record in the tournament. Um, so yeah, it's it's good that you know there are big scores out there and and a range of people making them as well. You know, because mm. this is what you need. You see it in Australian women's cricket. It's the depth of quality that England are having to aspire to. They're not there yet, but. You know, all right, tiny sample size, but these are these are good signs, and it's and it gets the trophy, gets the tournament up and running as well. It probably needed that, and as you say, you know, people are the eyeballs are, are on it. Um, and it's a big year for women's cricket because last year was through no fault of their own a washout. Um, so it's it's mm. good, it's good to see. Yeah, as you mentioned, big run chases there, aren't they? Yeah, well, two ninety sh- odd one shrubbery of the getting the Western Storm over <laughs> the shrub, the shrub, sixty one for forty one from her chasing two ninety five and. Yep. Sarah Glenn as well. She's an interesting cricketer. I mean, the first proper leggy that yeah. English England women's women's side has had, mm. and they need that desperately. All the other good sides out there have got leggies, um, mm. and so to have her come through, good signs. Very yeah, good signs. four for four for twenty-one for Charlotte Taylor, who's uh, leading with taker last season. And the mystery spin of Charlotte Taylor. Yeah, well, I mean, she, she sort of drifts the ball away from the right right-hander. She told me she basically just bowls bowls arm balls, and she's going at under three runs and over from these first two games. And she's yeah, she's near the, you know, she's got the most wickets in the, the tournament's history right now. So. I, I used to I used to hate bowlers like that, the drift bowlers, you know, it just goes in the air. We had one at Cheam Cricket Club. It was absolute club legend. Mm. Played way beyond his fiftieth fiftieth year. David Morgan took over a thousand. Thousand first team wickets in the Surrey Championship. Just Absolute thought, oh, legend of a man. Drift on the winds. Yeah. 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 This lad, Mark Harm, a year above me, Billericke boy. Hated facing him. Hated facing him. If you're out there, I hope you've stopped, Mark. <laughs> Terrible. So, just the, the details of that first Amy Jones 100. So, Central Parks were chasing 280 to beat the Diamonds. Uh, so, she made 100, but she got out and they were 196 for eight and looked out of the game. Uh, and then. Sarah Glenn uh, and number 10, Emily Arlett, hit her. Uh, Any relation? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I did, I did, I'd, I'll, I'll find out, but I don't think so. Uh, they, they put an unbroken partnership to, uh, to seal the game and against a, a proper international class bowling attack. Uh, I, I spoke to Sarah Glenn, who was uh, one of the stars of that win. Let's start with, would it have been about 4pm on Saturday? You're uh, 198 for eight and Emily Arlett joins you in the middle. And uh, you need what ninety to win against an attack with five England bowlers in it. What what are you two discussing at that point? Um, well, to be honest, looking at the kind of conditions, and we needed obviously I think eight to nines. Um, it was looking pretty tough, so we just said to just play our positive options, um, just stay positive, and not let kind of them knowing that international players like put you off from their best shot. Um, so we just kind of kept our plan simple, and then all of a sudden we got the rate down. So. We just then, again, just kept it simple. Yeah, and I, I noticed, uh, so 
it wasn't just the strike you were scoring. You, you scored six sixes and just put the one four. Is that is your is your power game something you've been like working on recently? Yeah, it's kind of. I think it's always kind of been in my game, but it's never really. I've kind of I've worked really hard on it the last few months, and I've just been really wanting to have the opportunity to put it into the game. And I feel like I, I find that back to myself in the game, whereas before I might have shied away from it. So I feel like that's probably been an improvement in my game. Yeah. Okay. And there was sort of that was part of a trend of high scores across the competition. Yeah. In general, uh, what 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 would you put that down to? Do you think? I think I wouldn't put it down to like poor bowling or anything, but I think I feel like the mindset in batting has really changed to a lot more positive. Like I feel like um, across the teams, everyone looks so much more calm and relaxed and understanding of their game, so they can just go out there and play with freedom. So that was kind of the biggest change I've noticed. Yeah, and it um, it's, it wasn't just like often you get games with big scores and. Uh, they end up not being too close because one team gets loads and the other team doesn't have a chance whereas there were loads of really close games as well so it's just great been a great start to the tournament basically yeah definitely like looking at the scorecards across the across the first games was just amazing like there's so many high scores but also some top polling performances so I think to kind of start that off of the tournament was really good to see yeah and how's your mindset as a bowler had to change with sort of batters being more positive and that sort of thing yeah you've just got to I think it's just kind of learning how to bowl under pressure because you kind of know they're going to come hard at you and you might just bowl your best ball and it still goes for four so I think just kind of having that practice of like performing under pressure and just being clear with your plan is what's something I've had to kind of work on um, with this kind of uh, change mindset with the batters Mm -hmm. and then just on Emily uh, I feel like it would have been only a few years ago that like a number 10 uncapped coming in and against that calibre of bowling hitting what, 24 of 18 would have been like completely unthinkable. Um, I guess firstly just how, how good was she out there? Oh she was absolutely amazing she kind of kept me calm as well so I knew it was kind of a tough chance to win but when we got closer like she kept me calm as well um, and yeah her batting's always been I think has been really good so I think the fact that she had that opportunity to come out there and, and show what she can do was amazing. I know how hard she's worked on her game, so I was just really proud of her. Mm. And she's one of these new pros. Yes. Uh, is that kind of already sort of showing, like, bearing fruit, do you think? Like, the, the, the extra winter practice that these guys have had, being able to do it full-time? Yeah, definitely. Up. I think, um, obviously, she's always, like, I think a lot of... Like a lot, I think all of us, we've always worked really hard as much as possible to get to that next level um, but I think it's more the fact that we've now got that opportunity to train more and to make that your priority I think that's been obviously really helpful to M but also all the other contracted players yeah and then looking ahead to uh, to later this summer first you've got a, a test match coming up which I think could yes. be your first if, if selected how, how exciting is that Yes, very exciting. Um, we've done a bit of red ball practice, which I've not played for in a couple of years now. So, um, yeah, it's been—it's just the fact that it's kind of a different format to what we normally play. Uh, it's really exciting that we've got some international cricket coming up. Yeah, and obviously it's often said that it's sort of like the pinnacle of the game. Is that, is that how you see it? Is that the one that you kind of, were you growing up sort of watching test cricket thinking this is the best thing or is it just cricket overall? Yeah, I, I think that's a tough one for me because my favourite format is T20, but I think... I think if you were to like win a test match, I think that means, I don't know, to me, I think that means so much more. I think because it truly is a test, I think, like psychologically, I think you're more drained after it. So the emotions, like, I feel like you have to work really hard in that. Not like you don't in the other formats, mm-hmm. but I feel like over time, like set, how quickly a game can change in a session as well, it still makes it an exciting game. Yeah, I think you see that in 
like some men's county cricket as well like yeah, just yeah. The, when you see that like the relief at the end of like four days of like hard work when that turned into a win that must just be like such an amazing feeling basically yeah it just I, I agree like I think they just always look so kind of drained psychologically drained but they can also tell how like proud they are mm. and I think because in, in formats like T20 and 50 like it can change within a couple of overs which obviously just makes it exciting but I think with test cricket the fact that it's played over so such a long period it really tests your skills your patience and I think it's a true testament to like how hard you've got to work for that yeah isn't it, is it I mean obviously I haven't even played your first yet but is it something that you'd want to be playing more of do you think in the future? yeah definitely like um I think just in general like even if I'm not selected like I'd love to just be playing more red ball cricket mm-hmm. it's just it's a different mindset it's more of like an attacking option I think as a bowler as well um looking to take wickets and it's just a different kind of format to the game and I think yeah I'd love to be playing that more often cool and then uh looking ahead after that then would be to the uh to the 100 and the first game is going to be here at the Oval yes um uh, just and I guess it's a it's a, it will be a landmark step for women's cricket that the first game will be a, a women's game that will be where all the eyes will be I guess. Yeah, definitely. I think that's what's making this competition so exciting—the fact that the women are kind of kick-starting kick it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think hopefully that will inspire a lot of young girls, kind of show how important we are to the game, and that you know hopefully it just inspires them to pick up a bat as well. Cool. And you can head to the uh, the hundred dot com to get tickets for that one. Uh, and finally. The T20 Blast starts next Monday, and with it, the Cricket Draft, powered by Wisden, oh, yes. an all-new free-to-play fancy game in partnership with the PCA. Prizes are supplied by New Balance, and there are benefits to signing up as a cricket club as well as as an individual. Head to fantasy.wisden.com to play now. Have, have, have any of you checked out Made a Team yet? I've, I've checked out the, the, the draft of the draft, if you like, mm-hmm. um, the soft launch thing. Checked it out. Um, you know I'm the first to criticise you, Ben, but I thought it was absolutely great, genuinely great. Um, and uh, it deserves to be signed up by everyone who, who could give a toss about cricket out there. I missed out on the rollout, then. It's the first time hearing of this. I got goosebumps when I saw my name and then director of cricket underneath it. Yeah, it's so good. It's a lovely yeah. touch, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's nice. I can't yeah. believe you didn't ask for my consultation in something that I'm, <laughs> I'm bound to be playing every week. Yeah. And what? So, so what do you need to do, just to reiterate? Yeah, just go to fantasy.wisdom.com to to check that out um, it's yeah as I say free to play which is a good thing and there are prizes so do we have a cut off point where you've got to get your team in no no you can so you can, you can join even if the competition has already started and there are you know like if you've played the fancy Premier League game uh, there are sort of game week leagues so if you miss the first league then you can compare yourself to the teams to the people who signed up for week two you can create private leagues or public leagues uh, so as, when you join up you'll be put into a league with other people from your cricket club as mm-hmm. well as from the county you support uh, what other users are to get in there? Oh, the, the, the one little uh, twist, I suppose, is that the uh, the trick is in squad management rather than picking a best first eleven. So you can pick a squad of at least fifteen, but as many as you like beyond that inside your budget. So you can pick lots of players if you want to have lots of sort of rest and rotation, as is the uh, is the fashion these days. Or you right. can just pick a, a very high quality fifteen. Elsewhere in the world of cricket this week. Sri Lanka won the third ODI against Bangladesh, which means they are finally on the board in the Cricket World Cup Super League, having been on negative points for most of the tournament so far. Bangladesh already won the series, but remember, there are no dead rubbers. Uh, Ireland women beat Scotland in a closely 40-20i series, 3-1. Uh, that was their return to national cricket. <clears throat> Afghanistan captain Ascot Afghan has been sacked as test skipper shortly after being reinstated to the role. Uh, he was previously test captain in their inaugural test and then was dropped and it was now Reese Lecter's captain has been dropped against to pick the bones out of that one. Uh, in his most recent game, he uh, 
he became Afghanistan's first ever test double centurion as they handily beat Zimbabwe. So try and uh, make the most of that decision. That, that's all for this week. Uh, thanks very much, Phil, Mark and Taha for joining me. If you did enjoy listening, please head to YouTube, maybe leave us a nice comment or maybe even leave us a nice five-star review on the podcast app. Cheers. Podcast Network.